0: near record early voting more movement in the polls and a look at down ballot races this is the week of october 22nd welcome to grand divisions i'm joel ebert i'm joey garrison
1: and i'm natalie allison
0: Joey, let's start off the show and and talk a little bit about the uh, kind of the most important headline that's been out there for a little while. Early voting has begun, and we are at near uh, record totals. It appears in the first. Yeah, it's
2: real massive turnouts, and it started on the first day of early voting, Wednesday, and it continued through the weekend. Really, what we're seeing is is numbers that are approaching uh, what we would consider presidential level turnout here. Uh, in Tennessee, not quite at the 2016 mark, but pretty, uh, you know, right behind it, uh, maybe 80 percent of the way there to, towards those numbers. It's been the case here in Nashville, uh, where numbers were above 11,000 on the first day, and they've kind of kept at that range. Over 50,000 have voted here in Nashville, and over 400,000 have voted statewide. Really, uh, you know, unpacking the numbers, I think it it, it seems to me like it's I think both parties are really, um, uh, excited about this race enthused about it. And I think you, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a blue wave, nor do I think it's a uh, reaction to a possible blue wave. I think I think this election is seen, particularly with the Tennessee Senate race, uh, the uh, U.S. Senate race that we knew would be getting a lot of attention. I think that that's really uh, getting a lot of folks uh, uh, interested in this in this uh, ballot in November.
1: Yeah, well, I, I know from talking with uh, Dean's people, Carl actually couldn't vote when he planned on it because the, because the line too was too long. long. They showed up with this. <laughs> group of people that marched in and it, the line was too long, so we had to leave. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're energized. I know, yeah, it's, it's yeah, I mean, both I, sides.
2: I, I'm hearing from people, they ask me, hey, Joey, I'm going to a poll place and it's like two hours to vote. And I said, yeah, that's going to, you know, it's going to be like that, you know, until early vote ends on November one, looking at Nashville, uh, it seems like the biggest turnout spots are, are Edmondson, uh, Hermitage, Bellevue, Bellmead, which are kind of around the, more the conservative the, parts and the yeah. other part. But th- that's, typical of what we've seen on early voting numbers in this in this city, that they are at those locations uh, and expand more towards the others as it goes on.
0: On the first day of early voting, we, we all went to, uh, I guess, rallies, get out the vote, you know, uh, efforts to really encourage voters to get out there. Um, when I was at the the Blackburn event in Franklin, uh, she had uh, Bill Lee there. And I don't know about you guys, but I didn't feel like it was just this electric, you know, you can't turn away environment. I mean, the, the crowd was receptive of course, um, but it wasn't this, you know, big rally hoorah, like a, tr- a Trump campaign kind
2: of Yeah, event. similar feel at the yeah. Braddison event, which was, con- I think, taking place at the same time. Granted, it was it literally midday on a weekday. Yeah, so. yeah. I, yeah it was like
1: a lunch event. I think
2: these events were to get uh, their candidates in front of TV cameras. Social uh, four, media. Right, yeah. et cetera, that yeah. kind of thing. And so, yeah, they were kind of staged and, and et cetera. Interestingly, Carl Dean started off, uh, he, he was there as well, the kind of candidate for governor. He spoke uh, and then there was maybe like a 20 minute delay, and then uh, Jim Cooper introduced uh, F- F- Phil Bradison, um and, and they went from there. It's just a short event to try to, to you know, and a lot of uh, Nashville Democrats, uh, state lawmakers, those types of folks who who were in attendance. Not exactly, you know, it was the, it was the real, you know, party loyalists there. Mm-hmm. Um-
0: Moving on to the next kind of main topic this week has been new polls. We've seen two new polls in, in both the Senate and the governor's race. The the governors there are always just kind of a tack on at the end of the poll. Um, first one came from uh, Reuters, and then the second one uh, came from Vanderbilt University. Joey, what are those polls been saying?
2: Yeah, so Reuters had Blackburn up three points. And again, this came out, uh, when, when was that, early last week? Mid last week, but Yeah. yeah. And, again, that was pretty welcome news, I think, for the Bredesen camp, which is uh, there have been a series of three polls showing uh, Blackburn expanding her lead from uh, five points, eight points, and even 14 points with, the, with that New York Times uh, poll. You know, they've been pushing back, saying this is a close race. And instead of so have a poll... Uh, that that sort of underscores that uh, was important and it said it was for them and it said it was uh, within the uh, margin of error, so statistically tied. That was followed by a a new Vanderbilt poll that actually had Bredesen up one point. Obviously, that's still in the uh, uh, margin of error and statistically tied as well. And so really looking at the assortment of polls here now heading in, you have one poll with Bredesen up, up very small, and then the others showing uh, Blackburn with the edge. And so I think we can safely say this is a very close race. And I think most would still, uh, if you were to look at the forecast and the odds makers, give it to Blackburn at this point. Um, and so it, it kind of, again, underscores what we've been saying all along. These elections uh, are all about turnout and who, you know, ha- how a poll does something is based on a certain turnout model. Or at the end of the day, it's voters who who obviously have the final say and decide, you know, this race and the others on the ballot. And right now it's it's very close.
0: Natalie, uh, on the governor's side, it doesn't seem that the polling is that close, right? It seems that Lee still has a, a healthy edge on on Dean.
1: Yeah, depending on on what you're looking at, you know, a lot of people say it is still in double digits. We haven't really seen anything to indicate otherwise that it that it's going to narrow much.
0: Which means, you know, like even these debates where where you had three debates in in two weeks, Carl Dean didn't really gain much momentum. It seems after no. those.
1: No, he didn't. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us expected, even on the final one, if nothing else, that, that Carl Dean would come out um, on the attack at least a little bit more than he did, but he didn't. That one was maybe even <laughs> the most civil of all. You know, they actually agreed on possibly more than they disagreed on in that debate. Um, so there, the opportunities he's had to... to go after Lee, you know, he really hasn't used.
0: Except there's a new ad from Carl Dane where he essentially
2: calls Bill Lee to what? Extreme, extreme I think. And I think it's, he's trying to make the case that Bill Lee is maybe on some of these social issues where, where guns in schools, I think is one of the examples. And then uh, school vouchers, I think mm-hmm. was another. And he's trying to to paint Bill Lee not a sort of in the tradition of a moderate yeah. uh, minded governor i don't know why and look i think t- from the outset dean was running kind of an uphill race on this one and when, when he was facing off diane black yeah i think he probably uh, if he had to had it his way his cam's way, campaign's way he would have faced diane black cuz that would have had better you know painted some better differences there but I don't know why he waited so long to make this case. Look, I don't know whether this, this case, th- this kind of message works or not, but I think it was the almost obvious card that he had to play. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the the whole time he's trying to portray himself as closely to Bill Haslam as he can. Every day there's some kind of tweet or statement or something in which he references Bill Haslam and how similar he is to it. And and not so much on stage, but in conversations I've had with him, um, in interviews, he, he does... Say what this ad is saying that, you know, Bill Lee, I think Bill Lee is is more far right than the rest of Tennessee, and Bill Lee is further right than the legislature, and and he's not going to be this check. like Beth Harwell or Haslam were. Um so so yeah, I mean that's he hasn't really done that on stage with the debates, but he that's kind yeah, say this this, the Haslam,
2: this latest ad doesn't really reflect the style he had during that debate last Friday. Like I don't think he ever used those those. No, words but once, it certainly
1: yeah. has been, it seems like his strategy to just try to portray himself as closely to Bill Haslam as he can. But
2: which, not necessarily of course Bill Haslam but not, not necessarily doing the second part of that is which is saying, Hey, my opponent is not I don't right. think I heard that most of the campaign yeah,
1: no, you, I, it's really, it's, I think it's been a recent thing, but he has mentioned that, you know, several times lately and, and that's some, a talking point that's coming from his staff as well.
2: And Bill Lee also had a new ad that focused on vocational education. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah. Well, despite what Eric Shelzig tweeted.
2: Wow, and Eric Schelzig mentioned
1: yes, first and last Eric. name. That's going to be. He that's going to raise some uh, eyebrows. Out what there, did, what did he say? It's, mandatory it's,
0: shop classes is Eric's interpretation of this new. Vocational
1: <laughs> training going to be mandatory in Tennessee under we the actually, administration.
0: We had a hilarious uh, in inner newsroom discussion about there was this new ad. So it essentially, uh, said that Bill Lee. Uh, remind me if I'm wrong on this. Said that Tennessee students should be able to take. Uh, I don't think it said vocational that said all students So Joey's interpretation that was that it was be a able to. Joey's interpretation was that to it's a mandate. To it again. Natalie's I, I, interpretation was it wasn't and I'm somewhere in the ether. I of did nowhere. not
1: think it was mandatory. So anyway, because of that, because Eric's stirring the pot, he's tweeting this, we're talking about it. Joel says we need to consult some a, kind a linguist. of linguist. But again, the, the, the
2: ad says basically it's pushing for what, what, what are the wor- Welding?
1: Yeah. Uh, programming?
2: Yeah, programming. And there was another one. Essentially, you're. I'm looking for glass blowing, but I haven't schools. heard that specifically a- yet.
1: So I, I asked Bill Lee's people, hey, is Bill Lee going to require all high school students to take vocational training? And they said, no, that is not what his position. But the push
2: is. that he's responding to is is there's been uh, a lot of talk in Tennessee that, that we're not producing a war, you know, workforce. That, that we for, have such a, right. a an
0: emphasis on higher ed, uh, the, college the colleges for the people institutions. People aren't
2: prepared for jobs. And so that's so, what he's trying to tap into. And actually,
0: when I talked to the governor last week, he said that he thinks both Bill Lee and Carl Dean have had a really great emphasis to not just say, we're going to push um, uh, you know higher ed, that they both are agreeing we need to get into vocational schools at the high school level. Yeah, they so, both have said that. I mean, they've Kind of move the needle on this. It's
2: issue. interesting uh, politically to kind of do this you know, specific issue uh, type. If you're Bill Lee, because he owns an HVAC company too. Right. It kind of fits into that sort of messaging. I do wonder whether he, I mean, is it possible he's already kind of just looking ahead and starting to message, you know, if he's elected here? Because this is something that you, maybe you would come out if you're elected governor uh, as some sort of policy Well, issue. he said this throughout the, the primary Yeah, but it's election. two weeks out, you know, yeah. doing that. I, I don't know. It's a strange time to it, I think. But- but uh,
0: let's go back to the Senate race for a minute. So, one of the new developments, too. Uh, of course, we reported last week on the the campaign finances of both uh, Marsha Blackburn and Phil Bredesen. When we totaled it up, though, it looks like with outside expenditures so far. We're somewhere over $50 million that has been spent by outside groups and the candidates themselves. That's pushing record territory. I wrote a story that said it was record territory. Uh, a, a new AP reporter uh, said that it. Uh, I needed to adjust for inflation. So we're actually not quite at the uh, record pace yet. Well, by the
2: time we wrap up. We, we will be. Yes. And, and more than half of that $50 million is outside groups, which we detailed a which, last week.
0: Which was will continue to grow yeah. as the election. And gets closer so uh, another new development was that Phil Bredesen uh, was in Nashville recently came out with his fourth big idea I believe they're pitching him as um, these are, have been ideas on how to tackle the the debt the nation's debt uh, uh, dealing with student loans uh, the third was so why am I blanking here anybody the big ideas yeah yeah. Third big idea. I already I forgot the big have to rewind idea. quite a bit. Too. Mm. All right.
1: Sorry, guys. The fourth third didn't stick.
0: Fourth big idea uh, was uh, on controlling or at least kind of getting these uh, controls on uh, the American uh, drug prescription costs. So uh, we pay exorbitant amounts more compared to our other countries out there. Bill Phil Bredesen wants to bring these in line using a uh, common practice in the business community that I believe it's called the most favored nation clause that would essentially say if you are a drug company and you give Germany uh, a a drug for $16 uh, per month, then you would also have have to give it to the United States if we invoke this. So it's an ovation that he made to Trump's America first policy and said that he would uh, kind of, you know, in tongue in cheek, invite the president to come out here at his next campaign rally for Marsha Blackburn to discuss this idea. How big of an idea do you think it is? (laughs) If you were to rake it.
1: Scale Um, of one to ten.
0: I'm not at liberty to discuss the bigness of the idea. (laughs) Um, and finally, uh, Natalie, let's turn to a more recent story that you had, uh, actually coming out, uh, right around the recording of this podcast. Um,
1: actually, I think Monday night, I think. Maybe okay. some people will have already read it.
0: So this is on, on health care and the governor's race. Tell us the highlights.
1: Yeah. So it, it's basically, you know, going over generally what both candidates are advocating for. It's been no secret. Carl Dean has been saying Medicaid expansion is the way to go. There are, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in Tennessee, working Tennesseans who can't afford health care coverage. We have to do something immediately. The day I walk into the governor's office, this is one of the first things I would address. On the other hand, you've had Bill Lee, who said uh, no Medicaid expansion isn't the way to go. It is a fundamentally flawed system. That's a phrase he's used a lot. Uh, But we haven't until recently gotten many details on what he would do Um, through a series of interviews with him and and reaching out to his campaign for more information. I got from them that they essentially uh, plan to work with with Trump and the congressional delegation in DC, um, to secure more funding for rural hospitals, funding that was cut under the ACA. Um, because you know, there were supposed to be more people who were, who were insured under Medicaid expansion. Uh, so they want to do that. Um, he, you know, they, they point to one of the flaws in, in Medicaid and the ACA is that there was a rise in premiums in Tennessee under, uh, Obamacare Actually, the uh, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services says that in states that expanded Medicaid, there was a seven percent decrease in premiums. So it seems like maybe they're they're. Could be a solution to that um, But they've they've poked holes in it I have also spoken to people For and against it, I outlined that in the story um, I spoke to a doctor here in Nashville Who says he agrees with Bill Lee Some of the suggestions Bill Lee has presented About focusing on preventative medicine and wellness Are, are more important He says than Medicaid expansion I spoke with Chris Coleman at the Tennessee Justice Center who says any candidate who has A health care plan that does not include Medicaid expansion isn't, isn't taking it Seriously.
0: All of that in national latest story on the governor's race and healthcare. Uh, Of course, you can also find other stories all on our uh, Tennessean Properties websites, Commercial Appeal, Knoxville News, Sentinel, uh, and the Tennessean and others. So we've also got recent stories on the Senate and uh, Senate candidates and their comments related to Mitch McConnell's proposal on entitlement cuts. Uh, The Honduras Caravan, which uh, recently, Marsha Blackburn called, what was it? Her An campaign illegal
1: call- alien mob.
0: There you go. Uh, and then also, uh, I have a new story somewhat uh, about the history of the income tax fight and how Phil Bredesen and Marsha Blackburn have used it in their pitches for the Senate. Joining us today are Sarah McCall, the executive director of Women for Tennessee's Future, and Kate Cothran, the director of communications for the House Republican Caucus. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you very much, Thanks for having us. So we wanted to kick off this discussion um, a little bit about this year. One of the big things that's come out early is the early voting turnout. It seems like we've been, you know, almost at record numbers or at least approaching
2: presidential levels, which is odd for a midterm year, isn't it? Yeah, it is odd. (laughs) What, What do you explain? I mean, so, and again jumping on what Joel said, 400, over 400,000 people voted statewide now. And it's, you know, four times as many as, as have been the case in 2014. And it's approaching the 2016 level. I mean, do you guys see this as, as one party having more enthusiasm than the other? Or, or is it just because of the uh, first time we've had you know two uh, major statewide competitive elections in a long time? How, how do you uh, account for it.
3: Well, I'm hopeful on the uh, progressive liberal side that this is a sign that our efforts are really picking up. You know, we've spent um, a lot of time uh, registering voters. There's a lot of new organizations popping up. Um, certainly, Women for Tennessee's Future is an example of that in terms of uh, hiring a staff person after the election of Trump. And so, you know, we've had some national organizations, I think, because of the U.S. Senate race come into town. And hopefully, what we're seeing is that they're registering voters and they're activating people that have never been talked to before because Democrats have been written off in this state. And so, my 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 hunch is that hopefully this is a result of that renewed enthusiasm in politics. And I think that's a direct result of the election of Trump. Cade,
0: is it just uh, energized Democrats that are driving voter turnout?
4: It's not. I mean, turnout is massive across the state, as you've hinted at. You know, we're seeing presidential type turnout, especially in rural rural Tennessee uh, you know, Trump won 60 percent of the vote uh, for president in Tennessee. Uh, he's still extremely popular across the state uh, and actually is his popularity is increasing. If you look at you know, some polls from NBC and Wall Street Journal uh, as of late, um, you know, the the Trump Marcia uh, rally that took place in Johnson City a couple weeks ago, 92,000 people uh, tried to get tickets for that event. Um, if you know what, what has been reported, um, you know, there's no enthusiasm gap between the Democrats and Republicans, which again has been reported some on the, on the national level. We're just not seeing it in Tennessee. I mean, Republicans are turning out, uh, especially in the rural part of the state. Those are Trump voters, uh, and it's going to definitely trickle down to our state house candidates. Uh, and, you know, all across the board.
0: What, what has been the effect of both these statewide races on sort of the down ballot? I mean, both of you guys look at, at legislative races. Is there, you know, uh, renewed energy in certain areas of the state that you didn't anticipate or see before? You know, are you seeing, um, you know, some races that are a little bit more uh, close that you're eyeing that, that, you know, historically in the past you wouldn't have been able to?
4: I think, you know, as we all know, Polling is only as good as what your turnout is. And so, all the polls that we see really don't mean anything if the turnout that we expect doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, Bill Lee, uh, Marsha Blackburn at the top of the ticket, uh, they're the right people for the job. They're uh, energizing our base. I'm sure we'll get into the Kavanaugh stuff here shortly. You know, that's really changed the direction. Uh, of of all of our races, uh, not only in Tennessee, but across the country.
0: How, how um, so? I mean, what has that done for, for yeah. Republicans in Tennessee? Yeah.
4: You know, I think uh, the Kavanaugh issue in general has really energized Republicans across the board. Uh, you know, voters saw firsthand, I mean, truly the hypocrisy uh, that took place in Washington with the whole fiasco of Democrats trying to block his confirmation using any tactic that they could come up with. Um, You know, Bredesen, uh, at the last minute, decided that he would uh, play a a little bit of a political card and uh, say that he would support Kavanaugh's uh, uh, confirmation, you know, literally as the votes are being taken uh, to start the process of getting him confirmed. You know, clearly it was, he was trying to appeal to some soft Republicans and, uh, some moderates and things like that. But I think voters saw through it. And, uh, you know, it was a bad political call at the end of the day. And I think it really shifted momentum into Marsh's direction.
2: And Sarah, on the uh, Democratic side, I talked to a lot of Democrats and liberals at the time who uh, were very disappointed with uh, Bredesen's decision to uh, back Kavanaugh. And, you know, some suggested they might not vote for Bredesen. And there was a real question, you know, on enthusiasm uh, from the left because of that. I mean, what are you? what do you think the response has been? I mean, do you think that people who who might have been uh, upset, you know, are are going out to vote anyways? Or is there something to watch there?
3: Yeah, you know, I I had a colleague who said, you know, Bredesen is he's a he's a more moderate Democrat. He's not going to be with with the progressive side of our base um, all the time. And he's also he does that because he's a representative of Tennessee and Tennessee values. You know, I think I think um, one of my colleagues said, you know, it's like it's like your family, like they're not you're not going to agree with them every single time. I think, you know, initially the knee jerk reaction is that there were, you know, progressives and party activists who are out there knocking on doors who, you know, are working really hard. And it's, it's a it's a, you know, a, a check to your gut. However, at the end of the day, the two candidates could not be more different in style, tenor and policy. And so I think, um, you know, the. With this surge of voting and we're seeing these near presidential levels, right, you have to pick one or the other. And I I don't think he's going to lose too many voters over that one issue because there's so much at stake with health care and other issues.
2: And so you think Democrats will, by and large, forgive him, those who are upset, uh, you, you know, from the get go.
3: Yeah, I I, I do. And I, you know, I think, um, I think, you know, there might be, it might come out in sort of the activist space of people knocking on doors and things like that. But again, you know, people have short term memories. And when they actually get to the polls, I, I don't, I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna forgive them.
0: Both candidates are obviously entering kind of the final phase, Bredesen and Blackburn. They're really driving their message home. You know, Bredesen, of course, highlighting the fact that he is, you know, kind of this independent minded thinker, this A person who's going to, I think he's he's referred to it, play the adult in the room as opposed to uh, his opponent who he has criticized for just kind of, you know, participating in partisanship and overtly partisan. Blackburn, of course, says that he's going to be a a lackey of national Democrats and, you know, he's not going to fulfill the Donald Trump agenda. How do you guys see these closing messages? Will they change anything in the race? Is this just more of the same from what we've seen so far? And is that going to help? anybody decide that may be undecided right now?
3: Well, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, Cade was saying, I think what's really interesting is for me, um, Marsha Blackburn and and, uh, Bill Lee couldn't be two more different candidates in sort of their in what they're running on and their messages. Right. Marsha Blackburn is running um, as a partisan. She's really out there in your face. And it's, you know, Hillary Clinton this and Chuck Schumer this. And Bill Lee's taking the the uh, place kind of more like a a Phil Bredesen of being more of the, you know, mild mannered, you know, temper in the room. And so I think in a weird way. I think Republicans are going to be going to the polls and they're going to have this really dichotomy between their two candidates. So I think it'll be really interesting to see where they come down on that.
0: That may be the first time I've ever b- heard anybody <laughs> refer to Bill Lee like a Bredesen. But that's interesting, that perspective.
3: Well, <laughs> not on not at every policy, but in terms of <laughs> okay. temper, I mean, right. So Marsha's okay, running yeah, on like yeah. partisan and bombast. And, and sure. right. Does the country want that? Or are we tired of that? that? Like that's one of the things that's on the ballot this year, I think.
4: Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was a Billy endorsement or or (laughs) exactly what was going on there. I'm kidding. Um, You know, I think for for Marsha Blackburn, for Billy, for all of our Republican candidates, for Donald Trump, for for everyone across the board that has an R by their name. I mean, voters, all they have to do is look at the economy. Um, I mean, Tennessee is booming right now. Um, And and honestly, we see Donald Trump, you know, refashioning America's economy kind of in light of what we see in Tennessee, you know. the, U- the United States is becoming what Tennessee is on a daily basis that we experience by living here and having strong Republicans in office over the last eight years. Uh, we're the lowest tax state. We're the lowest debt state. Uh, we have record number uh, of dollars going to education. Uh, we've got the Tennessee Promise. We have the Tennessee Strong Act uh, for, for those in the military. Um, we pay as we go on infrastructure projects. Uh, we're saving you know, record amounts of money for our future Uh, record low unemployment and record high wages. And all this is happening uh, while Republicans are still able to cut taxes. So I think the economy is where Republicans are going to win this election cycle and where uh, we've won uh, over the past several years. And I think in the future going forward, that's all that uh, voters really have to look at. You know, these are the things that Marsha Blackburn brings to the race. Uh, this, these are the things that Bill Lee brings to the race, and these are the things that all of our Republican candidates uh, can appeal to voters with.
0: Sarah, at the same time, the Democrats might want to talk about the economy too, right? They could point to uh, certain things on the national level. You could say, hey, look at these tariffs and how they've, they've impacted the state of Tennessee as a way to kind of undercut the argument that we have a great economy, couldn't they? Or, or is that happening?
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Democrats are running on the economy and, and economic opportunity. I mean, um, you know i think i think what, one of the things that's interesting for me is one of the big hallmarks of the republican sort of economy and their and their policy agenda was the the tax cuts and what did that end up doing it added debt to our you know national debt and you know that also seems to be an issue that republicans are you know they're always like you know running on anti-debt and so there's just a lot of hypocrisy there when you when you look at the actual policies and
0: it's also interesting because i think over this weekend you even had the president say we're going to have maybe another uh tax cut for just the middle class prior to uh the election because you know he acknowledged that this this Tax reform may have just not helped out the middle class. When Republicans
3: offer a middle class tax cut, I will believe it when I see it. Has (laughs) that ever happened?
4: Well, I mean, we saw with Trump's most recent tax cuts. I mean, study after study has shown that it has put more money into into people's pockets, and Republicans are proud to run on a tax cut agenda.
2: Oh well, I, I guess on the the economy question, you guys opposed. It seems Carl Dean has ran, ran a little bit, you know, on his record, a, a Nashville mayor, and a, you know, sort of duplicating the it city" thing statewide is sort of how it's been phrased a little bit. And so, yeah, I think he's making he's made that case uh, locally as well. Uh, speaking of the governor's race, I guess there's a pivot from his campaign. It seems in the last week or so, with a new ad where I think he refers to uh, Bill Lee as extreme and brings up. Uh, policies on on guns and schools, among other things. Kate, what's your what, what do you think the Dean campaign is? Uh, well, I is think doing when there? you're
4: when you're losing, you attack, and I think that's exactly what's going on. I mean, what I find fascinating about the uh, I guess decision to attack Bill Lee on you know quote extreme views. You know, if you look at polling, if you look how well Bill Lee did in the primary, you know, he has the support of of definitely a majority of Tennesseans, and so to say that his views are extreme, he's literally you know slapping the face of Tennesseans all across the state who truly believe exactly what Bill Lee is saying. So I I think it's a mistake, uh, and I think we're going to see that on Election Day.
2: Sarah, do you have any take on that, on whether that can be an effective case uh, that that Dean is making against Lee, this juncture in the race? And is it too late? I mean, are we... Yeah, it's kind of a head-scratcher, because I I think polling would have showed very early on coming out of the primaries that that Lee was up maybe double digits. So I am surprised that you, you have this here at the last second and not six weeks ago, but...
0: As we kind of look to to wrap up, I wanted to get an idea from both of you since you both focus on legislative races. What key races are you looking out for and what are you optimistic about that could happen on election?
3: Well, in terms of you know a few swing districts here in the state of Tennessee, there's not many. But obviously here in Davidson County, um, the Brent Moody and Bill Freeman race uh, is close. I think that's going to be really close. And that's close. to replace
2: Harwell's, Green Hills, Forest Hills areas. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: And uh, I think Freeman is running a good campaign. I think he's in position to pick that one up. Um, Obviously out in Knoxville, uh, former state representative Gloria Johnson, she's run the last two times. It's been decided by, you know, less than 200 votes each time. Um, You know, there's the third candidate in the race, so that would be a pickup opportunity for Democrats as well. And then I think finally out in West Tennessee and Shelby County, um, I do think, you know, there was some somewhat of a blue wave that rolled through uh, Shelby County. And I think that there's a couple races out there that we might be surprised about that the Democrats are able to pick up. And
0: when you say that, are you just talking about the House or are you thinking mostly the Senate with this Brian Kelsey uh, race that you're looking at?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the Brian Kelsey race is in play. I think the Senate seats are a little bit harder because they're bigger districts. Um, But, yeah, you know, for us, you know, we're really looking at these House races. Um, So, like,
2: White's uh, seat or? um,
3: Yeah, and uh, there's a woman named Danielle Schoenbaum out there.
2: You heard her... Lay out some of the ones the Democrats are looking at, and you, of course, you're, uh, that doesn't surprise you. But talk about each of those, uh, if you will, and then where yep. Republicans, uh, you know, think they can make mm-hmm. even expand their super majorities
4: even further. I mean, I definitely have to give the Democrats credit for uh, recruiting candidates uh, to, to go on the on the ballot, um, you know, as, as placeholder names, uh, so that our Republicans have opponents all across the state. Uh, the good thing, though, for Republicans is that we uh, focused on quality instead of quantity. And so, uh, you know, we have very, very strong candidates across the state as well. Uh, you know, Sarah uh, hit on a few of those that we're watching, um, you know, that polls have showed, um, you know, are closer districts. And, and we know that that's just based on the geography of the state and in different districts. But, you know, again, I go back to the economy and the accomplishments over the last eight years under the uh, leadership of Governor Haslam and the Republican supermajority, um, the things that Republicans have accomplished. Uh, that's going to translate into victories on election day. Uh, as long as um, you know Republicans continue doing a great job, uh, I think we'll continue staying uh, a pretty strong uh, uh, party in the legislature. Thanks again, guys, for coming
0: in and breaking this down. Uh, again, Kate Cothran with the House Republican Caucus and Sarah McCall with Women for Tennessee's Future.
4: Thank you, guys.
3: Yeah, thanks a lot.
1: This week we have with us David Plazas. He is the opinion and engagement editor for USA Today Network, Tennessee. David, thanks for coming.
5: Thanks so much, Natalie. It's good to be here.
1: Yeah. So we want to talk to you about the editorial board endorsements or lack thereof uh, this time around for the for the elections. Can you tell us a little bit about what you guys have been doing the past month and how you got to where we are now with the editorial you put out last week?
5: Sure. The primary strategy of the editorial board throughout this year has been to inform, engage, uh, educate. And that's been through a series of forums and debates in conjunction with the newsroom. Uh, and at the same time, the opportunity to meet with the candidates as editorial boards are prone to do, ask them a series of questions that were tailored to each candidate, and then talk to our, our viewers and our readers about exactly what they stand for. Uh, we had uh, 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 Mike Anastasi, our editor and VP, had written uh, an opinion in July talking about Our approach to endorsements in the future.
1: Yeah, and what did he say then?
5: So he essentially said that we would probably not always endorse, we might, but for the most part we saw our role as uh, being informing, helping uh, people think about these issues. Uh, The way that it's different from a news story, for example, is that it's not just he said, she said, we actually put perspective and opinion in this. For example, in this latest piece we talked about Marshall Blackburn rising above the rhetoric. Uh, We talked about the differences between Carl Dean and uh, Bill Lee as well in that particular gubernatorial race where we said, look, These people are starkly different, and here's how they're different, and here's what you should consider as you go to the polls. But I think most important, especially in a polarized environment in a state, which is still very much divided, voted two to one for Trump, uh, we want to give uh, people the option to understand who these candidates are. And there's also another ulterior motive, which is the issue of trust. We found after the 2016 election, people were questioning especially hard the motivations of journalists and also our veracity – And so it was really important for us to be primarily a source for information with some perspective. And it doesn't mean we're done in the endorsement business. But in this case, uh, with this election, it was so important to try to reduce as much bias as possible. David.
1: Uh, To clarify, though, for those of you who haven't read the the editorial David wrote, uh, the Tennessean did not – take any any stance for or against these these top four candidates the two candidates for governor two for senate um so so just to clarify we did not endorse either or
0: that's correct and and david that's sort of a different approach than knoxville News sentinel had um they're also owned by the usa today network what's the difference why is one property doing that versus another
5: it's really important that each editorial board has the opportunity to voice uh, the opinions of the, of the market it represents, of the people that it represents. We can't be dictating those things from Nashville. Uh, it's really important for the New Sentinel to speak to Knoxville readers and, for for example, the Commercial Appeal to speak for Memphis readers. And they should be coming out with their decision very soon, too. Uh, but but I think it's, it's important, uh, especially here in the state capitol, for us to make the case that, number one, we are first and foremost talking to the candidates to have them make their case to you, the voters. And, and number two, we think that we have a power to convene that's far more powerful than an actual just saying we're for this or for that. Uh, there are times where it's very useful to do that, especially in hyper-local elections where people don't really know who's running. But I think in an election like this where there's been so much attention, especially for the Senate race, uh, which is considered a toss-up depending on who you ask, uh, it's important to present both the uh, the arguments for and against both candidates.
0: I've, I've got to ask about the other side. What uh, is the fear that if you guys chose one candidate, you would look like you're, you know, frustrating
5: uh, one side of our readership, or is this is this a politically sensitive decision? No, actually, it didn't have to do with that, because I've been asked, you know, are you afraid of losing readers? Are you afraid of of angering one particular side? And that wasn't it at all. I think every single election will offer different opportunity for us to say, let's apply the strategy, let's apply the test what is in the best interest of our readers? Um, because in fact, and people have said you're losing readers. The fact is we're soaring in digital readership, and that's exactly where our readership is going. And so we have to present things in a way, especially opinion material, on digital platforms, mobile platforms that appeal to, to uh, those readers who are sophisticated, but they consume differently than a newspaper reader.
1: So by not endorsing any particular candidate, uh, is it fair to say that the editorial board believes that any of these candidates would be suitable for office?
5: So we believe that all four candidates are qualified for office for sure. And I think that the the voters of Tennessee have uh, options that are are suitable to them uh, on the Republican or the Democratic side. Uh, The question is, we certainly have, you know, vast disagreements with uh, Congressman Blackburn's approach. Uh, We certainly uh, have been noticing Governor Bredesen's, uh, you know, reluctance to really embrace his own party. Uh, And I think that was important to point out as well, because I think there was a little bit of a uh, energy deficit after the Brett Kavanaugh Decision or his decision to back the Brett Kavanaugh nomination to the Supreme Court.
1: Sure. Well, thank you, David, for explaining all of this to us. Uh, We appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective.
5: Thank you. And anyone can uh, tag me, dplazas at tennessee.com or David Plazas on Twitter. I'm happy to follow David.
1: David does these great uh, tweet threads, you know, after he writes an editorial sometimes or just reflecting on stories. So go give David a follow. Thank you. And now we are at the point of the podcast where we give you all a notebook dump of everything we haven't mentioned thus far and don't want to take too much time to talk about. Uh, So Republican state Republican Representative Rick Tillis filed a complaint um, against the Tennessee Valley Authority, one of their directors, Virginia Lodge, who also happened to be Phil Bredesen's uh, campaign treasurer, saying she violated the Hatch Act by also appearing in one of his Television advertisements with her name, Uh, TVA, said last week that federal law does not prohibit directors who are part-time employees in that capacity um, from engaging in political activities outside of TVA.
2: Yeah, Eric Trump, uh, son of uh, President Donald Trump, stumped for Marsha Blackburn outside of Memphis, uh, in a a suburb of Memphis in West Tennessee. Uh, Eric Trump tweeted about it. Uh, On the day of the event, which was Monday, he said, quote, it is great being in in Millington, Tennessee, stumping for Marsha Blackburn. She is truly an amazing person. Vote Marsha. She will make America great again. Of course, uh, Eric Trump's father, uh, Donald Trump, has stumped for uh, Marsha Blackburn twice uh, in this race. And now Eric Trump uh, has done the same.
0: Side note, I've been to Millington for a Donald Trump rally before he came uh, the nominee. Okay,
1: so it's a favorite Trump destination, Mm. huh? Okay. Uh, Carl Dean has launched a statewide committee of Republicans and Independents called the Republicans and Independents for Dean (laughs) Coalition, and it's chaired by music executive Mike Kerb. He also was former co-chair of Reagan's presidential campaign.
0: Former Republican House majority leader. Gerald McCormick was hired by the Ingram Group recently. Um, McCormick resigned from the legislature earlier this year or decided he wasn't going to run for re election, then resigned. And he is now going to be a lobbyist for the Ingram Group.
1: High school seniors from Wayne County were asked to change into t shirts promoting state Republican Representative David Byrd. He's up for re election. They were going on a field trip to the Capitol that Byrd was organizing. Uh, There were some questions from Democrats about whether this was a violation of the Little Hatch Act because the the school had instructed them to change into these shirts. Uh, David Byrd says no, it was not that. It was completely voluntary and no one had to wear the shirts.
2: And finally, first of all, let me revisit the Eric Trump uh, mention Marsha Blackburn said the event was in Munford, uh, Tennessee, oh. on their tweet. Oh. But, but Eric Trump said Millington. I'm guessing those cities are, are next to each other, and, and we're going to maybe clarify, one was in. We're going to clarify whether it was in Munford or
1: we, Millington. And best. if you
2: know the answer to this and listening to this, and yeah, I apologize, then
1: tweet us. Okay,
2: our last item here: Edmund uh, Zagorski, who has been on death row in, in, in Tennessee. Um, is now slated to be executed on November first. That came from a Tennessee Supreme Court uh, order uh, 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 on, that came on Monday, and so th- that would that would set up his ac- execution for November one. This would mark the second uh, execution in Tennessee in just a matter of months after going several years uh, without any in this state.
0: As we wrap up this week, just a couple of reminders. Early voting continues through November 1st, so go out there and vote early because otherwise there's probably going to be long lines on November 6th, which is election day. Uh, this podcast, Grand Divisions, is released every Tuesday. It's produced by John Garcia. You can find us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Please continue to rate us and leave us reviews. It's really helpful.
1: And review of five stars.
0: And uh, if you have any ideas or suggestions of things that we need to do in upcoming episodes, feel free to email us, or you can find our stories on uh, online and find our email there, or you can reach us on Twitter. Uh, again, thanks for listening. And this is Joel Ebert. You can reach me at J-O-E-L-E-B-E-R-T
2: 29 uh, on Twitter. Yeah, this is Joey Garrison. I'm at Joey Garrison on Twitter.
1: And I'm Natalie Allison at N-A-T-A-L-I-E underscore A-L-L-I-S-O-N.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.